Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining with us here today. And what I want to take a look at today is something I believe that likely you can relate to. What I want to talk about today is how do you deal with mean people? Like, how do you respond with difficult people? How do you kind of navigate some of the 10 situations you might find with people who are just plain kind of jerky with things? That's what I want to explore here today. And when I'm talking about mean people, I'm not necessarily today really wanting to focus in on people who are like abusive or do illegal things. Like uh, we're talking about like your everyday run of the mill, like just difficult mean people, maybe a jerky coworker that you have, a neighbor who you're always seeming to argue with, or perhaps a family member where there's just like consistent drama and conflict where they like to make things tense and difficult. Today I want to talk about just kind of like your everyday mean people that you might run into at work, in your, you know, extended family, in different spaces in your neighborhood that you have to kind of manage or deal with or learn to respond to. Because this is just true, and I know it kind of sucks to say this, but it's true. If you live long enough, you will end up encountering some mean people. So that's what I want to talk about today. And as soon as I started to kind of write the sermon and to explore uh, some things, I had this like almost instant kind of memory of a TV show that I watched in high school that I haven't seen probably since high school, okay? And there's a clip from it I wanna show you from today. It's from The Simpsons, and I think it sets up exactly what we wanna talk about today. And if you're from like my generation at all, you might even remember this with uh, Homer and Stampy. So I wanna show this clip and then we're gonna keep going. Well, animals are a lot like people, Mrs. Simpson. Some of them act badly because they've had a hard life or have been mistreated. But like people, some of them are just Jerks. Stop that, Mr. Simpson. So that's exactly what we want to take a look at today. We want to take a look at how do you respond to mean people, not so much trying to guess why they're mean or what's going on, but then what do we do? What do you do if you have somebody like Homer who's just like headbutting you all the time or it's constantly being difficult? That's what we want to take a look at. How do you respond? How do you move forward? And how do we do this in a biblical Christ-like way? And so today, we're going to explore then a story found in 1 Samuel 25. And in this story, we're going to see some different reactions and how to deal with mean people. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles if you have them, and we're going to explore the story here together. So here's some of the context of the story. This story is really about King David and a person named Nabal and a person named Abigail. And in this kind of context, what's happening right now is that David is actually hiding from King Saul. That King Saul is trying to kill David, so David's hiding out in the wilderness. That's kind of some of the context. I want to then read to you what goes on, and then we're going to kind of work this passage through through learning really about what do you do when you encounter people who are really mean and difficult. So we read this, starting in verse 2. Then David moved to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and a beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. So this is kind of the setup to the story. We have David who's kind of like being like Robin Hood out in the you know, uh, wilderness, just kind of hiding out there, right? And then we have here Nabal, who the text says is crude and mean and cruel and difficult. His name actually means foolish in Hebrew. So we know right off the bat that he's gonna be a difficult, mean person that they have to deal with. And then we have Abigail, whom the text says was sensible and a beautiful woman. So we have a sensible person and we have somebody who is mean and foolish and vindictive. And let's see kind of what ends up happening next. We read this. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with a message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and, never, uh, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you that this is true. So would you be kind to us? Would you be kind to us? Since we have come at a time of celebration, please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. 
David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's may, uh, name, and then they waited for a reply. Now, here's like what we don't get, not living in an agricultural society like this, is that sheep shearing time was really what it was, was like profit celebration time. That's what it's all actually about. It's like almost like an annual financial report. It's like kind of like you come to the end of quarter four, right, Q4, and you find out how many bonuses in a company they might be giving out, stuff like that. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of prosperity. That's really clear from the text where he says peace and prosperity to, to you. He also says, I'm told this in your sheep shearing time. And uh, he says, would you, uh, be able to share with us since we've come at a time of celebration. Because basically what would end up happening is Nabal is finding out now how much money and how much wealth he has gained and earned. And it's into this space that David then says, can you share and be kind to us and share some of your provisions with us? And David's really just asking for some help. And remember, remember, in this day and age, the law of hospitality is pretty strong. That if somebody asks you for help, you often say yes because you might be in that position. So the law of hospitality is pretty strong. Um, and then also, David comes and he says to him, listen, we are actually helpful to you. Listen specifically to what he says. He says, I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. I told you you're going to be counting your profits right now. He says, while your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. David's actually saying, this wealth that you now have, it's in some small part due to us and our protection as well. That we made sure that nobody ever robbed you, we made sure that nobody ever harmed you, that our people made sure that you were safe and that you could actually then increase your flocks and increase your wealth. So David goes to Nabal and simply says, would you be able to share some of your provisions with us? Would you be able to give something to us? Remember, they're hiding out in the wilderness. They're just looking for some food. And then David also says, in a kind and kind of uh, gracious way, but also in a pretty clear way, we also, we also helped you so that you could benefit. So would you be able to give something back to us? And do you want to take a guess what Nabal was going to say? Nabal is going to say no, because this is just true. Okay? Mean people love to say no. Mean people love to say no, like no, 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 no. This is a huge part of what makes mean people mean, is that easy and even reasonable requests, like David, they love to say no to. It's almost as if, and this is just true, it's almost as if mean people get some joy out of denying other people things. They seem to love this. This is exactly what's going on in this passage, that mean people just love to be difficult. And that's what's going to happen to Nabal. He's going to be difficult. In fact, the text says this. It says that David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. And they waited for a reply. They waited for a reply. Essentially, what's going on here is Nabal is making them wait, right? This is like in the movies where like, you have somebody out in the lobby, right? And they just make that person wait for hours and hours and hours. It's the same sort of thing. Except Nabal should not be making David wait. David is not a man to be trifled with. David is not a man to be petty and jerky with like Nabal is in this moment. In fact, later on, we learn, it says this, and the narrator says that David, um, uh, later on, it says, David did not leave one person alive in the villages he attacked. So David is not like, I don't know, like this kind, gentle person in this passage and in this moment. He's actually like a warrior. He's a mercenary. This is not the person I will be trifling with. But that's exactly what Nabal is doing. He is actually pushing and being petty with David and being difficult with David. He's actually like in John Wick where he's like killing the dog of John Wick. He's just angering him needlessly. That's what's going on. Listen to his actual response. Listen to how he says. He says, who is this fellow David? As if he doesn't know. Who is this fellow David, he says. Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? Right, he knows who he is. Who is the son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who comes from who knows where? This is the response that he gives to David. It's actually pretty like astounding. 
Because what Nabal is doing here is not even in his own self-interests. He's just going to anger someone with more power than him. But this is honestly, this is honestly how mean people act. That they get so used to just saying no, that even when it's in their best interest to say yes, they don't actually. They don't. They don't. And they just push and are jerky and are difficult to people. And so this is going to actually have some consequences for Nabal. That often this stuff actually kind of boomerangs back. But what I want to notice now is David's response. Because David gives us the first response to a mean person, right? David encounters Nabal, and Nabal is not kind, right? David has been kind to him, and instead Nabal repays goodness for evil, right? That's what he's going to do. going to give, you know, meanness back to David. And let's see how David then responds. And I think what David does is a natural response. He wants to get even. He wants to retaliate. He wants to sink to Nabal's level. Let's read what he says. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. And then listen, this is exactly what goes on next in the text. He says this. So get your swords was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. David's first initial reaction then is like, okay, if you're going to be this to me, I'm going to strike back. I'm going to hit back. And I think, I think that this is actually something that we can relate to, even though our own personal circumstances are probably very, very different than this. I think we can relate to not maybe gathering 400 people as an army to go and attack someone. I think what we can relate to, though, is that when someone is mean to us, when somebody is difficult to us, when somebody is just uselessly pushing back on us, don't we then want to like kind of hit back? to retaliate, to maybe even to kind of sink to their level a little bit. That's what we're seeing here with David. He wants to respond to evil with evil. He wants to respond to the hurt with hurt. Nabal pushes back at him. He's going to push back again, but just stronger and harder. That's what we see. And I think we can relate to this, as I said. I think the same kind of instinct flows within so many of us. That's almost a normal reaction. So if you have a neighbor that keeps you up late, like all the time, whatever else, you might be tempted to want to start your lawnmower at like 6.30 a.m. below their window, right? If you have a difficult business person who's mean to you, you might want to cut them out of the next deal. Or, or if you have like a difficult family member who loves to send, you know, brutal texts or group emails, whatever else, you might have the temptation to just want to respond with one of your own, right? I think this is a normal reaction, but this isn't a healthy reaction because this is just true, okay? Whenever we seek to react like this, things don't get better, things just get worse. And honestly, what we also end up doing is we often so end up actually justifying our bad actions by somebody else's, okay? I wanna say that again. That when we get into this kind of like tit for tat, arguing retaliation thing, we often end up justifying our bad actions by someone else's. This actually ends up happening in the story as well. Listen to what David says next. He says, a lot of good, just a few verses later on. He says, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he repaid me evil for good. Right, that's Nabal's response. He repaid me evil for good. He says this, may God strike me and kill me if one man in his household is still alive tomorrow morning. And what we hear here is really, David justifying his own actions. David working himself up to say, this is why he is justified in going and killing somebody else. And again, even though this story is wrote like thousands of years ago compared to our lives today, this is the same sort of thing I've heard other people say. Well, like, you know, like, well, we tried the, the, the easy way. Now it's the hard way. Or you brought this on yourself. Or there's nothing more that I can do. We so often justify our wrong choices by somebody else's wrong choices. And that's what David does. He's starting to build this full head of steam moving forward to go into do something terrible and evil to Nabal. And so, so far, 
so far in the story, we haven't seen really a good way to deal with uh, meanness or evil or difficult people. Right? We've seen Nabal who repays you know, good um, that was given to him with evil. We see David really wanting to do evil for evil. Right? That isn't a way forward. But next we're going to see Abigail. And Abigail is going to be the one that provides really the way that we should move forward. She's going to give the example that we should follow. That, as the text says, she was sensible. And so we're going to see that. So what we see next is we're going to see Abigail's kind of reactions to things. And I want to just notice, notice this. That in the Bible, it was written in a highly, highly patriarchal time. So when there are women who are really praised and raised up, this is an important thing for us to notice and to pay attention to. That essentially, with David and Nabal, they're in this like ego match, trying to pretend who is bigger and who is better and all of that. And there are more non-church appropriate ways to kind of put those terms, right? But that's what's going on. Abigail is going to find a different way forward. So let's read what happens with her. It says this in verse 18. Abigail wasted no time. She heard what was going on. And she knew that this is going to be a disaster. That you do not send that kind of reply to David. That is not what you do. So Abigail wasted no time. It says this. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, uh, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She placed them all on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead and I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband about what she was doing. So here, we're going to see Abigail have to deal with two mean people, uh, Nabal and with David. And essentially what she does is she sends the food on ahead. What she's going to do is to do what really should have been done in the first place. She's going to act with kindness. She's going to act with compassion. And she's going to hope that this is going to change some of David's perspective. I think this is a really important thing for us to notice. Because even with mean people, kindness and compassion can shift somebody's mood, can actually open up their posture. It can actually make an impact. And so what ends up happening is all of these donkeys start to travel towards David. And David, you have to think, he's building up this full head of steam. He's justifying himself for all the actions he's about to do. He is full of anger at this moment, and he probably actually likes being angry. Sometimes you probably notice this too, where people start to kind of uh, stoke that anger within them. I think that's what's happening here with David. And then what he must have seen is like the ancient day equivalent of food trucks, right? Like, like donkeys full of food. And they start to come towards him, and it must have just... It must have just put him a little bit off guard, right? It must have actually fouled some of his mood because he wants to be angry. He wants to punish Nabal. And then all of a sudden now, he's receiving all this food, all the stuff that he's asked for. And then Abigail shows up and listen to what she says. And she speaks with amazing wisdom and discernment and sensible action. It says this, when Abigail arrives, when Abigail saw David, she got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please pay no attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. So it's as if for Abigail, this food opens up a space for her to have a conversation with David. And what she then does is she starts to speak some really wise and sensible words to him. She doesn't call him out as bad. She actually calls him forward and into something bigger and better. And she does this in the next few verses. I'm going to read a few verses of her speech to David. She says this just a little bit later on. She says, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. She says, when the Lord has done all he has promised and has made you the leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. 
She's talking about don't go and actually murder all of these people. It'll be a blemish on your character. It'll be a blemish on who God has called you to be. Uh, she continues saying, then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. That what she does really to David is she calls him to something bigger and better. She says, you're better than this, David. You're bigger than this, David. You can actually find a different path forward, David. You don't need this needless bloodshed. And then because, because of her kindness, because of her compassion, but then also because of her wisdom and sensible direction, really, Abigail changes everything. Abigail changes everything. And I think it's Abigail that we should be paying attention to in this story. That what she does with mean people, both with Nabal and with David, is she acts with kindness, with wisdom, and sensible action. I think this is how you deal with, with mean people. With kindness, with wisdom, and with sensible action. Because what the story makes really clear is that because of Abigail's actions, actually, there's this like really good ending to this story. There's actually all this disaster that is averted, that there's actually a way forward past the evil and the meanness of both David and Nabal. That how the story ends is this. What ends up happening is Nabal is not killed by David. David actually turns around and chooses not to go through with it. And then what ends up happening for David then is he doesn't have this needless bloodshed on his character. He actually doesn't have this blemish on his record. And then for Abigail, she is also saved. And this is really how I think you deal with mean people. It's with sensible actions, it's with kindness, and it's with compassion. Listen to what David uh, says at the end of the passage. Um, David replied to Abigail. This is just after Abigail is giving kind of that speech to her. He says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you have said. We will not kill your husband. And here, here I really do believe we see the way forward to deal with mean people. We see how David has changed. And we see actually how uh, Abigail has averted all this disaster. That really in the story, we see three characters with three responses. We see Nabal, who is cruel and mean and vindictive. And when someone does something good for him, he just says no and is mean and cruel back. We see David, who does really what is a normal response, that when somebody's mean to him, he seeks to kind of be mean right back. But then what we see with Abigail is totally different, actually. It's totally different. That when people are mean and difficult and vindictive towards her, what does she do? She rises above it with kindness, with wisdom, and with sensible action. And so the story ends then with her not being killed or Nabal not being killed by David. She goes home, actually, and this is how what ends up happening to Nabal. There's consequences for his meanness and cruelty in the story as well. So she goes, and in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened, what she had done. Says this, as a result, he had this stroke, and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone, and he died 10 days later. That essentially Nabal suffered the consequences and the punishment of his own meanness and cruelty. But David, David and Abigail actually then end up getting married. There's this strange kind of actual ending to this story. And listen to what David says at the very, very end. He says this. He said, praise the Lord who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. And the story kind of comes to a close. So what do we learn in this ancient story? As I said, I think what we learn in this ancient story is first some of the normal reactions like David that we have, where we want to retaliate, but then we see the right way forward. Then we see a way forward that is not modeled by Nabal or by David, but by Abigail, where the way to deal with mean people is, is to be kind, is to be wise, and to have sensible action. 
I think that's what we see. So what's my main point today? My main point is really simple. That the way you respond to mean people is with wisdom, kindness, and sensible action. That the way you respond to mean people is with wisdom, kindness, and sensible action. This is what we see in Abigail, and she's the one to emulate and follow. That really when somebody is evil towards us, we seek to repay them with good. That's what the story is teaching us. And this is actually the same kind of teaching that's throughout the Bible. Let me read to you a few verses that remind us of the importance. Even when someone does something mean to us, we need to be kind and respond with sensible action. We read this in Proverbs. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals of shame on their heads. Or in Paul, we read this. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable, but, let your, but don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. With Jesus, we read this. He says, but to those of you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. That the testimony really of the scriptures is with mean people, our way forward isn't by actually just devolving to that level. It's actually rise above it with kindness, wisdom, and sensible action. But practically then, what does this look like? I want to share with you a story in my own life where I ended up having to deal with some mean people and kind of what ended up happening with it. Okay? And this is a, a story that ended up happening with my brothers. Now, as I've shared here before, my dad passed away and he was a pastor at a church and I was pastoring with him. And after my dad had passed, the church I was at at that point, um, just as sometimes churches can do, uh, the church went a little bit sideways. And by a little bit sideways, I mean like it was one of the most toxic and hurtful environments I'd ever been in. So much so that I had to no longer pastor there and my family had also left um, over all those things. There's a lot of betrayal and hurt and all that kind of stuff. And this is a few years after that. Um, and it was coming up to my anniversary of my dad's death. And what I had heard was that previous church I was at, um, my dad had a pulpit that was commissioned for him. That was kind of his pulpit that he preached from, all that sort of thing. And this pulpit was just sitting in a closet. It wasn't being used anymore. And I know it might sound kind of silly, but I had some sentimental value to that pulpit. So since it wasn't being used, since it was just kind of sitting there in a closet in the back collecting dust, uh, we asked if we might have it. Um, that I might be able to use it every Sunday. Because I was a pastor and preaching every single week, and uh, if it wasn't going to be used, right, it had sentimental value for me, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could use it, and maybe, um, you know, I'd be able to kind of uh, remember my dad in that sort of a way, since especially it was just, you know, collecting dust. Uh, so we asked the church leadership, and the church though said, you know what, and like, no, 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 it means too much to us, like, you can't have it. And I was a little bit, like, frustrated by this, because I was like, well, like, you're not using it, and it's actually technically not even yours. It's my dad's. It was made for him. It was a gift to him. Like, you can't really, but I didn't really know what to do. It kind of felt kind of petty. Uh, but then as we're coming up on my dad's anniversary, best friends of ours had thought of a different way to maybe to try to, um, to have the pulpit with the sentimental value, especially, again, because it's not being used. So what they offered them was to actually purchase a brand new pulpit for the church, and that I would take the one that's, you know, in the basement in the closet that's not being used. The church, so again, because remember, what do mean people love to say? They love to say, no. The church said, no, 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 we can't do that. It means too much to us. So then what they did, they had a new strategy. They're like, okay, they found out the person who had actually handmade this pulpit, and they asked them how much it would cost to make an exact replica of it, and they offered to pay to make an exact replica that could then go sit in the basement, right? And then I, I could use, you know, the one that had sentimental value to me. Do you want to take a guess what the leadership said to that idea, too? They said, no, again. And so we find out all of this, that you know, we can't move forward with the pulpit, all that sort of stuff. And it happens to be the anniversary of my dad's death. And so as a family, we're at my mom's house, and my brothers and I are sitting outside. And we're kind of stewing about not just the pulpit, but it's really like the straw that broke the camel's back. There's so much other things that were going on. And I was really hurt and angry. And so all of a sudden, my one brother um, just says, he's like, why don't we just go like, take it? I was like, what? He's like, no, why don't we just go like, take it? And in case we're not clear here what we're talking about, what he meant was go steal the pulpit from the church that we all used to go to. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And he says, we all have keys 
This is true. We were all janitors of the church and we still actually have keys to this day. And we lived on the church properties. Like we could just go and get it and no one would even notice. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa guys. I, I don't know about this. And then they started to talk about it. They're like, first of all, Andrew, first of all, it's not being used. It has sentimental value for, for you. It's sitting in a closet. No one would even notice if we took it. Right? No one even noticed. And like Andrew, anyway, it's dad's anyway. It was given to him. It's not even theirs. Really, we'd be liberating it. I remember them saying that. We would be liberating the pulpit. And I wish. And I wish in this moment that I could tell you that I was like Abigail, the sensible person who said, this is not a good idea. But instead, what I said was, I don't know if I could be a part of this. And they're like, yeah, 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 of course. Like, you can be a part of it. But you have the bigger car. Could you drive us to the church tonight so we could, you know, steal a pulpit? And I wish I could tell you that I did not contemplate this action. And that might shock some of you, but if you have ever, if you have ever encountered somebody who is truly mean and difficult and hurtful and betraying and all of that, it is very natural to want to contemplate actually trying to get even with them, to fight back, to maybe even to go and steal a pulpit, right? That's David's response. And in this moment, I'm just exemplifying David's response. I'm like, well, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. And I'm kind of using, again, their bad actions to justify bad uh, contemplations for us and for me. It's into this moment that my lovely wife actually walks out. And Krista has been a part of our family for decades. Um, we've known each other since we were like six um, and we grew up together and all of that. So she tells that something's a bit funny and a bit off. Um, and so she's like, what are you guys talking about? And my one brother fills her in on like kind of their kind of plan and their thoughts. Um, and Krista, because she is wise and she is sensible, Krista did not just immediately say, you guys are idiots, you're not doing this. Although she did say that verbatim later. Instead, she had brought out food, she had brought out some stuff for us. Instead, she actually just, again, kind of very much like Abigail, brought us to a bigger picture of things. And she said, guys, is this honoring of your dad? Is this what you want to do on the night? She's like, Andrew, you don't even use a pulpit anyway anymore. Like, why do you even need this? Like, this isn't a thing, right? And she kind of just brought us some clarity in that moment. And I think this, this is how you deal with mean people or even people like me contemplating mean actions at that moment, right? You deal with mean people or people contemplating meanness with wisdom, with kindness, and sensible action. That's what my lovely wife did. She brought some actual reality to that moment because it is so easy. It is so easy when you are being hurt by somebody, when somebody's deeply hurting for you, for you to want to retaliate, for you to want to hit back, for you to want to maybe go and steal a pulpit or whatever, right? Whatever it might be in your case, it is so easy to just want to lash back out, but that isn't the right response. That's the response of David. And I think we're called to be like Abigail and like Christ, who tells us to do good with those who hurt us, right? That's the real calling. So what are we supposed to do out of this story with mean people? I think what we need to be is like Abigail. We need to be like my wife in that moment, reminding us of the right things. We need to act with wisdom, with kindness, and with sensible action. So practically, what does this mean? I want to give you three words for what this means and what this might look like, okay? And they are caring, praying, and acting. Caring, praying, and acting. These are some ways that you might be able to deal with a difficult coworker, person on your team, person in your family, whatever it may be, okay? The first is caring. I wanna invite you to think through this one question. What is one caring action that you can do for that person who is mean and difficult? What is one caring action that you can do for that person who is mean and difficult? And of course, of course, this is not a question our world ever asks, but it is one that is required for Christians to ask. What might be a kind, compassionate thing to do for that person who is mean and difficult to you? In fact, Jesus actually tells us that this is what we are called to do in uh, situations like this. He actually says, do good for those who hate you in Luke 6, 27. This is the calling of Christ. So if you have a difficult person, if you have a difficult person, what might it like, look like for you 
to act with compassion towards them. Maybe it's to say hi to them in the hall. Maybe it's to bring them food like Krista did for us or Abigail did. Maybe it's actually to just be encouraging. Maybe it's to actually choose to let something go. Maybe it's to actually smile at them. I don't know what it might be, but I want to invite you to think that through. What might be a caring action you can do? Because caring really does open up conversations, even with mean people. The second thing I want to invite you to do is to pray. Is to pray and pray specifically for wisdom. I think when we're dealing with mean and difficult people, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's somebody you know, in your family, in your coworker, in your school, whatever it may be, what we really need is wisdom for how to deal with them. Abigail was sensible, or another way to put it, Abigail was wise. She knew the right things to do. We need that same sort of insight if we're going to deal with difficult people. So what I wanna invite you and challenge you to do is if you have a difficult person, not only ask the question, how can I care for them? How can I be kind in some way to them? How can I have a caring action towards them? but then to pray and to ask God to give you wisdom for how to deal with them. Wisdom for how to deal with them. In fact, James teaches us this. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. So we need to care. We need to think of caring actions. And then we also know we need to pray for wisdom for how to deal with things. And then the last thing I want to invite you into, last thing I want to invite you into is even sensible action. Sensible action. Sensible action. I think that's the right way to deal with things, right? That's what we see with Abigail, right? That when God tells her what to do or when she's given wisdom about the right things to do, she acts on it. We're called to do the same thing. I wanna invite you to think through and to pray through, God, what should I do with this difficult person? And then to act. Perhaps that's a conversation and to say, actually, this fighting is not leading us anywhere, right? Or this conflict is not helping any one of us. Perhaps it might be an action that you might do. What I wanna invite you into is really those three things of caring, praying, and then acting to care, to think through what might be a caring action, to pray for wisdom, and then to act on that wisdom. So for me, realizing out of that whole time uh, with the pulpit thing and all that kind of thing, realizing that there's still some hurt there, what I realized was, what I realized was, was I needed to go and sit down and talk with that leadership. So that's what I did. The caring action for me was actually for me to invite them out for lunch, uh, some of the leaders there, and to talk with them and to work this all through and to seek to have some sensible action forward, right? That's how I try to put this into practice in that moment. After I realized, you know, clearly, clearly me devolving to uh, stealing pulpits is not the right way forward, right? And the same thing for you, whatever it may be. Acting like David never things makes things better. We need to act like Abigail, which is to care, which is to pray, and which is then to act with sensible action. So what's my main point today? My main point is if you want to deal with mean people, the right way to deal with it is with kindness, wisdom, and sensible action. And then my challenge is, this week, if you have somebody who's difficult, would you think of caring? Would you think of praying? And then would you think of the right actions to take? Because I think this is what our world needs. It needs people who are able to rise above things and call people to deeper and better things with sensible action. I think we need more Abigails and less kind of reacting Davids in the battles in our lives. And so with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? So dear God, I ask if we have a difficult person in our lives. I pray, God, would you give us wisdom, wisdom in the words to say, wisdom in the actions to take, wisdom, Lord, for how we might be able to deal and respond with them. I pray, God, might we be like Abigail, acting with sensible action, acting with kindness and compassion even. I pray, God, would you help us to manage and to deal with those relationships that are so challenging and difficult. And I pray, God, if we need extra support, might we reach out to our home churches, to trusted family and friends for wisdom as well. And through all of this, might we, might we follow you and live and love and look like you, not like David and Nabal with the meanness and the anger and the retaliation, but instead, might we actually choose to love and to live like you do giving grace and compassion, and seeking to follow obediently. And we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.